Hello, and welcome to the Hearn Him Podcast. I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. And when two theologians get married, what, what you, you get, get is a podcast. The no longer partially potty trained edition. Right. So, update on our lives. Because time, everyone wants to know. Of course they do. Last time we came on here, we said, hey, we're potty training right now. It's going great. We're making strides. We feel like there is forward progress that is being made. Uh, give it about another week, and it, it should be going smoothly. No. Turns out that's that's not what happened. Uh, we had a regression. We had a stalling out of forward progress. And so, unfortunately, we had to pull the plug on potty training, and we'll have to revisit it in a couple months. Yeah, and that was a very hard decision because everything I've read said it's going to be hard, put in a lot of patience, you're going to need a lot of extra patience and extra resilience in order to continue on the potty training journey. And whatever you do, don't put them back in diapers because then you have to start over. We are going to have to start over <laughs> because Silas, I think he's just too young. He understands, but he also doesn't really care. And he started having multiple accidents and wetting his pants and he would just continue playing like nothing happened as he watched it happening. And then I'd say, Silas, do you need to go pee? And he'd shake his head no mm-hmm. as as he's playing and urine is leaking down his leg. So I just thought, mm, maybe you're not as ready as I thought you were because you're not troubled at all by the fact that your pants are wet. You're just going to keep doing what Which you're doing. Which is troubling to us. Yeah. So that and Titus not sleeping through the night, waking up like he was a newborn baby again. It was just too much at one time for me. So we pulled the plug. We did. And we will be back better than ever on potty training 2.0 whenever that time comes. Right. Maybe I can learn how to read the signs better. I'm not very good at parenting, clearly. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like uh, this potty training saga has taught us a lesson that is similar to the lesson that we've learned from many other situations. And the principle there is this. Parenting is hard. Amen. And it's even harder when you're like trying to do a good job at it. I feel like it'd be easier if we weren't trying to do a good job. Yeah, if we didn't care, it would be a lot easier. It would. Yeah, we care too much. We need to care less. (laughs) Care less for our children, exactly. then they'll and be then great children. And then we'll be happy. Yeah. But it's crazy. With like people having raised kids for like literally thousands of years, you would really think that we would have worked out all the kinks by now. But like we for sure have not. No. Each generation is trying to solve the problems from the previous generation and everyone ends up with a really expensive therapy bill at the end of it all. Yeah. It's like each new generation just jacks up their kids in a whole brand new way that overcorrected for the way that their parents jacked them up. But because they overcorrected, now there's this new permutation new of jacked upness that it's gets passed word. along that then the next generation is going to try and solve. And so all that to be said, we want to solve all of that today with our wisdom and our knowledge because we have been parents for, for almost, almost two, two years. years. We have almost potty trained one of them. <laughs> It's a process, 
And so, yeah, we just want to solve thousands of years of parenting problems here on the podcast today by deconstructing all of the parenting paradigms that we were raised with that jacked us up. And you know what? It is our time. It is our time to shine. Every new generation gets gets their opportunity. They get they get there at bat. They get to swing at this parenting thing and say like this is the way that we should do it. So that is what we are going to do today. This is how we think it should be done. You are way more confident in your parenting skills than I am. I feel like that is the the long tradition of parenting that we have finally figured it out. And this is going to be great. And their kids go, are you sure you figured it out? Because yeah. I feel like maybe you did not have the right systems in place. Exactly. So today what we want to do actually in all seriousness is actually look at parenting macro trends from when we were raised, like in the 90s and the early 2000s, to now. Things have changed. People have changed. Views have changed. They have. Um, and so we want to do a bit of a compare and contrast on those macro trends and see if we can make some kind of sense of this. So if you don't have kids, maybe you will just commiserate with us about how you were raised. Yeah. And if you do have kids, you will commiserate with us about how are you supposed to raise the kids that you do have? Because it's kind of, everyone is either a parent or a child or both. Exactly. Everyone is affected deeply by the way the previous generation tried to do things. Right. And what's interesting about our upbringing in the world of you know, suburban evangelicalism is that actually, if you talk to other people who grew up in a similar situation, they have similar experiences. And that's because there was a particular parenting culture within white evangelicalism that was pretty pervasive during that time. And so even if you grew up in different neighborhoods or even different parts of the country, there was a lot of commonalities. Yeah. And you might not have realized it. I think I'm only coming to the realization of, well, there was something happening during the era my mom was parenting that everyone was kind of following the same models. And as I'm a parent now, those models feel a little old and tired and as if they didn't work. I feel a little old and tired. Yeah, I'll tell you exactly, what. exactly. Yeah, as a parent, that is the life motto, old and tired. Yeah. And what's crazy about those similarities is a lot of it springs from the fact that all of our parents were reading the same Bible study curriculum during those years. And so Kristen Dumais, she actually outlines this in her book, Jesus and John Wayne, which we'll link to in the show notes. And we've linked to in many show notes before this. So you should probably just pick that book up at some point and read it. And then you won't have to listen to us anymore. But what is interesting is that a lot of the parenting styles that evangelicals grew up with, it's crazy how much they were like culturally informed by that moment and then also politically informed by that moment. And really, we could start the story in the 1950s, but we'll jump ahead to the 60s. And the story really begins for us around one Dr. James Dobson. It's a very famous name. It is. And so James Dobson was a child psychologist in the 1960s. And what he was realizing as he had these, these children come in and these youngsters come in, and he was counseling them, is that they all seem to have very similar problems. And he isn't like the originator of his parenting philosophy, but he certainly popularized it. And really what he came to be convinced of is that if all of these children just were disciplined more, 
then they would be better. And if all the children of America were disciplined more, then we would have a better country. And he actually looked to the larger cultural movements of the time as affirming that assumption. So there was like the anti-war movement. There was the sexual revolution. There was rock and roll. There was drugs. And so Dobson really believed that there was an entire generation that was experiencing, you know, widespread problems, not because of the threat of nuclear annihilation, right? but because they all just needed a swat on the behind and to get sent to bed without dinner. Yeah. And if they just had that, we wouldn't be dealing with the problems we're dealing with in the world. That it all boils down to parenting styles and what's happening in the home And if parents would just discipline their kids, the world would be a better place at large. Right. So he's having all these thoughts in the 1960s. And then then he writes a book. In 1970, he writes this book called Dare to Discipline. I dare you. Discipline your kid. (laughs) I dare you to discipline. Oh, man. And it sold like gangbusters. And because of that success, Dobson, he began selling other things like seminars, other books, resources, and he really began to build this media empire, which we all know as Focus on the Family. Like that's a household name even to this day, 40, 50 years later. Yeah, it's still massive, a massive organization. And what started as one of his early endeavors as a radio program is still alive and well and they're repurposing a lot of that content for podcasting like it's still a multi-million dollar organization and in many ways continuing to grow it is yeah its growth is not stopping anytime soon yeah so american evangelicalism was and is very much influenced by focus on the family and the focus on the family like way of doing things and that way of doing things is very authoritarian. And so there's this big emphasis on Dobson's work beginning with dare to discipline and, you know, consistently throughout all the books and resources that he's published since then, there's this emphasis on submission to authority and really like how you can extract obedience from your kids under this banner of spare the rod hate the child kind of mentality as a totalizing Mm -hmm. feature of how you approach parenting. Yeah. And a lot of the parenting model also hinged on the father being the leader of the household and the, the wife submitting to the father and then the children falling underneath that structure of submitting to both parents. And if that structure was not in place then Dr. Dobson would suggest that that needs to be corrected in order for that household to function the way that God has designed it and intended for it to function. Yeah, and the more he wrote, the more he fleshed this out. Like, these strong complementarian ideas weren't necessarily in Dare to Discipline, but they were certainly fleshed out in his later works where basically God's design for the family as Dobson sees it is that at the top of the pecking order is the husband-father, then Below him in submission is his wife, and then below that are the kids submitting to both mother and father, and the father is the final authority. And so there is a huge emphasis on obedience and submission as a form of ordering the family, that that is kind of the main philosophy by which you do it. 
And that was also the main focus of the way the family relates to one another. It often fell underneath this authority type structure. The relationship was based on who do you report to and who do you submit to. Exactly. Yeah. And so that was like in the 1970s that this really came into vogue. But it continued to grow not only in focus on the family, but as an overall philosophy within American evangelicalism. So this framework was really seen as gospel truth for the coming decades. And so by the time you get to like the 1990s, which is when we were born and raised, well, you were born in the 1980s, you're a little bit older than I am. Okay, so, all right. Uh, but That's enough out of you. But when we were kids, it was almost assumed at that point. Like this is the biblical way to do things. And another big resource that came out, I think in 1997, was called Growing Kids God's Way. And this was by Anne-Marie and Gary Ezzo. And it was a book, and then it was also like a curriculum, and there were like bulletin inserts. And so like it was this whole culture around the growing kids, God's way. And I think I even remember my parents going to parenting seminars at church of the growing kids, God's way kind of mentality. And it was very much the same thing as the, the, the message is very much similar to that focus on the family. And the whole message is, is that like kids aren't meant to be coddled, like you're meant to manage and govern them. Like, they'll be happier if you manage them and govern them rather than be super nurturing and, and coddling of them. And they would kind of bemoan, like, the participation trophy generation is what millennials are often called. Like, we're snowflakes. We're fragile because... Because we weren't disciplined. Because we weren't disciplined. And so in the moment of the 1990s, that's what they were already kind of bemoaning. And so, like, it was like, you can't let your kids alter your life. Like they have to adjust to you rather than you adjusting to them. And again, it's very much based on this authority obedience model. Like at certain points, it feels a little bit more like dog training than it does child rearing. Hmm. Like, did you ever watch uh, the dog whisperer? Caesar Milan. Caesar Milan. It's like and his, Caesar Milan, but for people. Yeah. And he always made that sound to the kids, to the dog. Psst. <laughs> yeah, and the whole philosophy is that there's yeah. an alpha, and so you're the alpha, and, you and the need... dogs will be happier when they know who the alpha is. Yeah, and you need to make your presence known, and you need to make sure that the dog submits to you. You're right. The parenting model is the very same similar yeah, to the Caesar Milan's dog training model. And yeah. I'm sure that works for dogs, right? But... There's actually some debate. Some people would say yes, some people huh. would say no. I think the large difference there is humans are not dogs. And yeah, dogs are not created in the, the image of God. Yeah, But these people, they, they pumped out the seminars and they made some money on this curriculum of growing kids God's way. And this vision for family life, it really dovetails ever so beautifully into the politically conservative ethics of authoritarianism, law and order, militarism, and really the suspicion of reimagining any kind of power structures. Because anything that's progressive is the result of a lack of discipline in old school American values and therefore is not godly. And so while something like Focus on the Family, it's not a political organization in any official sense, it basically falls in line with the overall conservative culture war suite of voices and organizations. And so they very much conflate biblical values with conservative Republican values that really have been present 
since kind of the beginning of these culture wars in the 1980s and 90s. And all of that has been mixed into parenting as well. And so alongside an authoritarian understanding of the world, there's also baked into the evangelical consciousness and an authoritarian parenting paradigm. And also with this suspicion of the world, of the, the world's music, the world's pop culture, the world's fashions. And the religious right has really sowed seeds of fear that the world is, quote, going to take your kids. Right. And you as a parent have to protect your child from the world at all costs, even to the point of very heavy discipline and sort of heavy handedness within your family structure. And also not letting them listen to good music. So that's why we grew up listening to P.O.D. instead of Linkin Park and the O.C. Supertones instead of Goldfinger. What was your favorite band growing up that was the mirror of whatever quote-unquote secular music of the world was going on at that time? I was not allowed to listen to secular music, so I would get like hints of it through friends at school and literally was never playing in the car or on any radio in my house. So the only time I could actually hear anything that was secular music was because the kids at school would bring, this is really going to date me, but they would bring the cassette tapes. No, not cassette tapes. It was, we always called them Walkman, but they weren't. They were for CDs. Okay. Yeah. A CD Walkman. A CD Walkman. Yeah. And you would share the headphones and that's where I would hear songs from like Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. Those two artists were never playing in my household ever. So the Christian equivalent to these like pop stars, I think there was a pop group called Raze, R-A-Z-E. I listened to them and there was like a hip hop group called Out of Eden and they were very similar to, oh, I can't believe I don't know the name of the group. What Beyonce, she was in a group before Destiny she was. Child? Yes. So out That's of Eden. That's how like, sheltered from the world were. You, I don't you even were, know Destiny's Child. You didn't even Child. know yeah. who Beyonce is. <laughs> I knew Beyonce, but that was it. So out of Eden was comparable to Destiny's Child. Okay. Yeah, so I mentioned P.O.D., O.C. Supertones. Like my mom's generation. P.O.D. I was familiar with. There was with. a lot of like Michael W. Smith and Amy Grant that oh. was playing in the house, but I was yeah. never really you latched didn't, on You weren't a fan of one. Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith? No. Even though friends are friends forever, Michael W. Smith is not my friend. Stephen <laughs> Curtis Chapman? Remember that guy? That was like- The name. Again, I remember my, the name. My yeah. mom's kind of generation. Yeah. So there was like P.O.D. My mom was a lot younger than your mom, so she was- My mom was listening to Out of Eden with me. (laughs) (laughs) My sister would always listen to this group called Plus One. Yes. Yeah, it was kind of like the ripoff of like Backstreet Boys and Sync kind of style of music. That was the same as Rays. Okay. Plus One, Rays, they were kind of the same types of groups. There was actually this Christian thrash metal band called Living Sacrifice that I would listen to. Hmm. I had forgotten about them until recently. My mom bought my brother a lot of like heavy metal Christian band albums and he hated all of them. Living Sacrifice was good if you didn't have anything else. Okay. My but brother definitely would on the lower echelons of like thrash music. Yeah, my brother would often sneak his Linkin Park CDs. Oh, I loved Linkin Park. In the car and whenever my mom would go into the grocery store because back then she would leave us in the car while she was in the grocery store for like an hour. She cracked would... the window at least. Well, she'd leave the keys in the car too. So we would we would be sitting there with the keys in the car and my brother would pull out his Lincoln Park C D 
And I would always threaten to tell my mom because that would be the end of it if she knew he was listening to Linkin Park. Dude, Linkin Park was the greatest. Yeah, I still love Linkin Park. Yeah, to, to this day. day. Uh-huh. Yeah, R.I.P. Chester, by the way. I listened to uh, Disciple. Remember Disciple? No. Oh, that's that, they were pretty good. I like them. But there were a whole host of others. I did a Google search of like uh, Christian bands from the 90s, and I was like, dang, I forgot about all what these. What was that one? A like, thousand, it, thousand Foot Crutch? Oh, a Thousand Foot Crutch. I, mm-hmm. I liked a couple of their songs. Okay. Oh, Jeremy Camp. He oh, was Jeremy pretty Camp big. Was, he was big, but he was, he was never good. I mean, I listened to him all the time. I remember. Beautiful one. Yes. Yeah, that was probably one of his more famous ones. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, so there's a lot Taken. of bad music that we listen to. But other than music, what were some of the other elements of Focus on the Family branding that made their way into your home by the way that you were parented and reared as a child? I think anything the school was teaching me that felt counter to scripture, my mom was afraid of. She was certainly afraid that I was going to be swept away by the thinking of the world. Um, Anything from evolution to even what they were teaching in sex ed, uh, what kind of movies the kids around me were watching. I wasn't allowed to watch any of the like popular movies or TV shows. No SpongeBob. Um, I wasn't allowed to watch Power Rangers. And I'm still bitter about it. Yeah, that's a weird one. We watched Power Rangers and pretended to act out the fight scenes. Maybe that's why you weren't allowed to watch it. It was too violent. Yeah. (laughs) But I think that kind of fear of culture really seeped heavily into my upbringing. And there's a lot of things that were happening in the culture around me that I had no idea about. And it's because my mom was constantly trying to shelter me and protect me from that. And really, the fear was driven out of her idea that I would leave the faith if I knew what was happening and I was enticed into stepping into this way of thinking that the enticement of the world would suck me in and I would completely abandon the faith. And I would say that's a pretty heavy teaching that Focus on the Family has brought into the parenting generation of like the 90s and the uh, early 2000s. Not only are the parents afraid of what the culture is going to do to their kids, but then the kids need to have, quote unquote, a healthy fear of their parents in order to not be swept away. So everything was just fear based. Kind of gives you a stomachache just thinking back on, right? (laughs) Yeah, and I I feel bad for my mom, really, because she was a new Christian trying to figure out how to be a Christian on her own. So she really turned to these resources as a, a way to guide her mm-hmm. as a Christian parent because she didn't have it figured out in her own faith anyways. And so she relied heavily on resources that Focus on the Family put out and... Now, thinking back on it, it's it's a little disturbing that parents relied so heavily on someone telling them how to parent the quote-unquote biblical model, but it wasn't exactly the biblical model. And I'm sure a lot of parents were doing just the same thing because they're like us. Now that we're parents, are like, what am I supposed, am I supposed to do? To do? What, where are the resources? And so when people who are Christian and people who are part of your church are dispensing resources, mm-hmm. you take those with... A certain level of authority. Yes. And you're not absolutely. very critical of them because 
one, they're so prevalent within the church Mm -hmm. and you would trust your church to lead you in a good way. But at that cultural moment, there was this wider evangelical militarism that was informing a lot of that parenting. And it was one among a number of different views at the time and even currently today, but it was preached as the gospel truth. It was the only acceptable view within the church at that time. My mom didn't know any other view. And because there was the one voice within the evangelical church, it made it seem as if it was the right voice and the only voice because it was based on scripture. And And not based on good marketing. Well, Which is really what it ends up boiling down to. mm, Yeah, no, that's true. Focus on the family. I don't think there was any other organization, parachurch or church organization that was as large and able to distribute as much content to a wide number of people at one time the way that they were able to. Yeah. And I just remember growing up and everything being so prohibitive, like way less people offered me drugs than my parents would make me think we're going to. And mm, yeah. way less teachers called me out for for your faith, my faith than ever did. In fact, a lot of teachers I had were actually Christian, even science teachers. And it was crazy. Even like within Hmm. the world I grew up in, like even if you were an old earth creationist, you were like less Christian and you couldn't be trusted because you were like liberal or something. Yeah. I didn't even know old earth creationists existed. Oh, like it's just. That's not a Christian view at all. Yeah, was so, the way that I was brought so up. So either you are a Christian, young earth creationist, Ken Ham, or you're Stephen Hawking. Exactly. Okay. You're, you believe in evolution. And, and there's no God. Exactly. Yeah. And so there was a lot of that. Where do you see like this fear-based parenting taking on either the same form or a different form, even as the culture has changed up around the church? I think fear-based parenting is still vivi- alive and well in the church. And I say that as I'm trying to figure out parenting and trying to figure out how do I raise these two boys that need to function in the world, but I also want them to be people who contribute to the world and contribute not only just in terms of their minds and, and being good citizens in the world, but also how how do they be light? salt and light to the world. And their faith is important to me and bringing them up in a house that is rich in faith and rich in love and rich in the goodness of Jesus and teaching them Jesus and showing them Jesus. It's hard to figure out how do you do that and how do you do it well? And as I've turned to people that are older than me that have adult children now, they often tell me, you know, you need to make sure your children have a healthy fear of you. And if they're acting out or they're not listening to you, it's because they don't fear you. So, And you're like, ah, but I know your kid and he's in therapy right now because of that. <laughs> yeah. I don't think the people I've talked to have been able to kind of make that connection of that parenting model didn't necessarily work for every single child. And... A lot of what I'm reading that's not part of the church 
and their parenting philosophies is is drastically different. So there's a really popular book called Raising a Whole Brain Child, and that's just the idea of how does the child's brain work. So let's parent them based on the actual makeup and inner workings of the brain and what they can cognitively understand in that life phase, which is drastically different in terms of parenting models of if they don't obey, it's because you're a bad parent. And the way that it's different is that it's based on actual research by developmental psychologists and neurologists and all kinds of other people who study the brain. It is. And I'm not in any way saying I haven't figured it out yet because my son is only two. And if you ever hang around us, you'll know that my oldest son, Silas, is very strong-willed. He's and a strong leader. As you tell him, don't throw that, he'll look at you in the eyes and throw it. And we're still working on that. We're still working on figuring out why he does that and how to parent him based on his personality and based on what is going to work for him. And even just growing up, I understand there are different parenting styles for different children. So for me, if you were to spank me, which I grew up being spanked, um, that was awful for me. I would cry up until the moment I was spanked, I would cry while I was being spanked, and I would cry for hours after it. My brother, on the other hand, it was a very different uh, emotional process for him when he was spanked. I think for him, it actually invoked a bit of anger when he was spanked. And that makes sense because we were two different people. Yeah. So back to your question of how do we see this fear-based parenting style continuing to happen in our lives? I think it's still very much the model that Christians hold to because of the verse that continues to be quoted to them and has been quoted to me is, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child. So if you don't spank your kid, it's because you're spoiling them. And I definitely don't think that's the, the best way to understand that verse. Yeah. I think the way the fear expresses itself is evolving with our times. I think particularly about the rise of the helicopter parent and just the very much close involvement with every facet of the child's life. Like when we were kids, like, you know, it sounds, it sounds like an old person. You know, when we were kids, like, but literally like my parents would send us outside. And, I wasn't allowed to go outside. Oh, I was sent outside and nobody came looking for me. As long as you stayed within the boundary of like, you know, these don't go past these light poles or whatever. It was very much like an independent kind of, way of living as a kid and uh, walked to school by myself. I don't remember my parents being heavily involved in a lot of those kinds of things. I think now parents are way more involved, like literally tracking their kids, every movement on their phone. And when I was a junior high pastor, I remember doing a, an event where we're going like laser tag or something. And it was like junior high, seventh and eighth graders. And we were piling into the church vans to go drive two miles down the road to the laser tag place from the church. And I had moms who were like literally buckling their kid's seatbelt in the church van, like a 13, 14 year old. And I'm like, wow, this is interesting. And so there is a, a, a heightened fear for physical safety mm. that is probably, and to be involved in everything that is probably going to be the struggle of our generation and maybe even us or personally with kind of navigating how to have a healthy to be, closeness and a healthy yeah. distance from from the kid. Right. And it goes back to what you originally said in the beginning of the podcast, how each generation wants to correct. And oftentimes we overcorrect. 
And I think I'm very aware of the fact that we will have the tendency to overcorrect what happened uh, in our upbringing. And therefore, our sons, Silas and Titus, will probably have the tendency to overcorrect whatever we did wrong. And I hope (laughs) it's not that bad. Like, I think every parent is genuinely trying to do the best that they can. But understanding how parenting styles are heavily influenced by the voices that have the biggest platform. And for Focus on the Family, obviously they grew so large prior to any kind of internet and social media, but they did have the largest platform that existed within the time of their growth. And they're continuing to leverage the digital media now and continuing to have a very loud voice. And so it'll be interesting to see what organizations and parenting styles kind of come up during our generation leveraging the platforms that they're going to have. Yeah. And one thing that kind of continues to stick out to me about, especially like the growing kids God's way philosophy of parenting is this whole debate between being a child centered parent or being a parent centered parenting style. What do you think about that? Like where are the extremes in that? And what's the general philosophy you think from a biblical perspective? I've seen both styles carried out in probably in my own life and especially my grandpa and his generation. He would often say like the reason you have kids is so that they can clean the house and so that they can do the laundry. Like you he have only half joking when he said that. Too. Right. Like you have these kids so that you can put them to work and they can help you care for the house. And that made sense On the farm in 1829. Well, that's what I was going to say. That made sense when the predominant way of living was farming, where you needed extra hands. Your family is your workforce, yeah. Yeah. But now, I I don't necessarily think that's the same parenting model we need to have is put your kids to work. But my mom did it. I mean, I remember Saturday mornings were cleaning day, and in my memory, I don't remember her cleaning. I remember I always was in charge of the, the bathrooms and the... And the kitchen, my brother was in charge of cleaning the bedroom and the living room. And we were in a one-bedroom apartment, so those were all the spaces that existed. So I think her mentality was very parent-focused and less kid-focused, where now, for my generation, I do see a lot of moms that are more kid-focused in their parenting, and they're willing to put their kids first always And they don't want to disrupt the kids and their schedule and their plans for what the parents want to do. And I have found uh, that has become a temptation of mine is to put the kids first in such a way that I don't want their lives to be disrupted in any way. And I'm very aware of the fact that there needs to be a balance between the two. Like Parents should be able to exist in their lives and the kids should be able to learn how to adjust and operate within change, but the parents also need to be mindful of the kids' needs and maybe when something is just too much for the kids. Yeah, I think it's definitely a both and because there are times when the kid needs to just adjust to what's going on because as you grow up, 
the world isn't going to come to you. Like you're going to have to learn those skills and the resilience in the midst of that. But then also there are times when I feel like the parent needs to adjust to the kid for the purposes of that child feeling seen, heard, loved, and like they're in a safe and secure environment. So there it's, I feel like it's situational where there are some times where the kid's like, Hey, Hey kid, you just got to suck it up on this one. And other times it's like, Hey, we, we really do need to, step aside or adjust or do something differently for the situation. Well, and I think the large difference of the parenting model is placing value on the kids as their own person. And we have a couple that have two girls that are older than us. And I've always admired the fact that they treat their girls like people, like humans. They don't treat them as if they're kids that have to operate based on the parents' whims and the kids never get a voice and they never get a say and their emotions don't matter. Uh, they always value the input and the process of the children and their ideas and the way that they're taking an experience in. And I think it, it just really goes down to valuing children as people and not as like you're in charge of them always and they don't ever get a say and their emotions don't matter or their thinking doesn't matter or what they want doesn't matter. Like they need to have a voice and they need to be able to have a safe space to voice that. And hopefully you're creating a home where that safe space is your home and your parents can be a safe space. Yeah. And I will say this in defense of older generations, family sizes are much smaller now than they used to be. So it's a lot easier to come to your kid Mm. rather than have your kid come to you when there's only one, two, three of them. I think when you have six, seven, eight kids, there are certain economies of scale that you need to Like there's only two to. parents. Yeah, and, and you, you just have don't kids. have the capacity for Absolutely. any kind of a kid-centered model hmm. of parenting. And that kind of leads me into my next question of what do you think about this whole philosophy, doctrine, theology within a certain subset of evangelicalism called the quiverful mentality of parenting, where basically the the philosophy is Genesis 1, it says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, you want to fill the earth with a bunch of kids who follow Jesus. And like that is one of the ways that you grow the church. And actually it goes beyond that because both Protestants, evangelicals, and Catholics are all within a stream of tradition that have long emphasized like one of the chief ends of marriage is to have offspring, to have children. And so it's in this evangelical quiverful mentality, and it's also within the Catholic tradition. And so this is what uh, Pope John Paul wrote in 1981 in his apostolic exhortation. It says, according to the plan of God, marriage is the foundation of the wider community of the family since the very institution of marriage and conjugal love are ordained to the procreation and education of children in whom they find their crowning. So the crowning of a marriage is the kids is basically the idea. And John Paul was reiterating a theology from at least 700 years earlier from Thomas Aquinas in Summa Theologica. He says, it is clear that offspring or at least what he means by that is having children or intending to procreate is the most essential thing in marriage. And so both Thomas Aquinas, 
and Pope John Paul and the Quiverful people would say, it's no ding on your marriage if you aren't able to have kids or you aren't able to have a lot of kids. But basically, all things being equal, if you're doing marriage right, then you will have a lot of kids. Like, because that is the crowning jewel of your life as a married couple. Unpack all of that for me and, and your thoughts. It's a lot to unpack. I think some people who hold heavily to that philosophy is those who feel this sense of obligation to populate the earth. Like we are still in need of populating the earth and not necessarily for the sake of how many people are Christians, but just for the sake of the world needs more people so we can continue to have more generations. Does the world need more people? Well, it's pretty populated at this point. I know. The earth has been filled. I agree. But I think that mandate that we see in Genesis 1, they would understand it as we are called to populate because the world is in need of more population. And the Bible never says at what number we should stop doing that. Right. So that's kind of the mentality is just for the sake of continuing to have multiple generations. The way to do that is you keep having children. But there's also this other view, which I struggle. I guess I struggle with both of them. But the second I struggle with a little bit more. And that's this idea that we have to continue to have more children so that we can raise them in the faith and they can continue to grow the church instead of the idea of placing a heavy weight on evangelism and evangelism is important, but it's not as important as having children so we can keep the faith alive. And my issues with that is I don't see in scripture our call to continue to grow the faith based on having children alone. I think the call to grow the faith is more heavily focused on reaching non-believers rather than continuing to grow believers, I guess you could say. And the reality is you see a lot of kids that are raised in Christians' homes that leave the faith. And that's because you can't give your faith to your kids. Like, there's just no way. My sons cannot have faith through my faith, right? Like, everyone's salvation is dependent upon the Holy Spirit revealing truth to them and not dependent upon whether or not you parented the right way. And I think we need to normalize that a little bit more in the Christian church, Because too often parents have this burden of their children leaving the faith as a direct reflection of their parenting skills. And a kid's faith is not dependent upon you parenting right or wrong. Right. Ultimately, it's it's up to the decisions that they're they're going to make. I think going back to this like idea of like your purpose of your marriage is to from a theological perspective is to have kids and not only have kids, but have as many kids as you possibly can. It is a large part of the Christian tradition, 
But I wonder if it would have been a large part of the Christian tradition had a thing like contraceptives been a part of society before 50 years ago. Like, is the advent of modern contraception an affront to that? Or did we build our theology on a world that no longer exists? I tend to lean more that way because when even going back to be fruitful and multiply, I don't see that primarily as a procreation command. I see that more as a management of the earth command to build and to cultivate. And yes, children are involved in that, but I don't see that as a one-to-one, like you need to have as many kids Mm. so that you can fill up the earth. That feels like a little bit of a literalistic reading of that text. Mm. And so I don't think having as many kids as you can possibly have, I mean, if you want to do that, by all means, there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I don't think that necessarily that is the only way to see it. That and it doesn't take into account all of the other factors. Can you as a family actually care for these children well? Can you provide for them well? Can you train them up to be healthy, functioning adults well? And if the objective is merely to have as many kids as you want. (laughs) Just critical mass. You just need critical mass. Just keep pumping out those kids regardless of whether or not you can actually care for them is not wise. We need to think of the life of the child as well and what kind of a life are we able to actually give these children. And for some families, I mean, financially, it just doesn't make sense to continue to have more kids. And for some, it can. Like, they can make that work, and that's great. But we also need to think about the whole picture of what it means to feel the obligation of have as many children as you can, regardless of the cost. And sometimes it's not wise to have as many children as your body will physically allow you to have. Yeah. And I think, again, just to reiterate, like we have friends who have four kids, five kids, six kids, and they're wonderful families. And it was, it's great that all those kids are here. But that isn't necessarily like, quote unquote, the Christian way to do it. Right. Cool. Well, we had no uh, controversial opinions in this one, I don't think. It was all just above boards. (laughs) So we know that not everybody will agree with us on a lot of these things, perhaps all of these things, but that's okay. Um, This is super important, and so we probably should have strong feelings about this. And so if you are a parent or someone who's thinking about being a parent, yeah, definitely like have these kinds of discussions and think through them and try different stuff, and it's okay to evolve over time and... You should because it, it this is really important. Like Proverbs twenty two six tells us, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. And they, that's proverbial wisdom. Like it's not an ironclad promise. Like you could be a near perfect parent. Like we could be near perfect parents, and Silas turn out to be a madman. Yep. But generally speaking, if we raise him up in the way that he should go, hopefully when he's old, he won't depart from it. And the measure to which we do that, the more likely it'll be that hmm. he won't depart from it, even if it's still. A possibility. I mean, so it's important that we constantly seek wisdom on exactly how to do that. And giving yourself grace as parents and giving other parents grace because we're not all going to hold to the same parenting model and that's okay. Oh, and it's not my job to parent somebody else's kid or tell them how they should be parenting. Right. Or even to judge them when they turn around. 
Right. Like, like let's yeah. be kind to other parents, understanding it is We're all just trying hard. to figure this out. Yeah. It's hard and we don't have the answers and we don't have a manual and everyone's kids are different. So like let's just be kind to fellow parents, please. Yeah. Be kind. Resource each other. Don't give unsolicited advice to someone who definitely doesn't want it, but give it to people who maybe are asking for it and be willing to share your wisdom and your mistakes. And I think we'll all be better for that. So all that to be said, check back with us in about 20 years to see if any of this um, worked. And so maybe you should just put this episode in a time capsule, open it up 2045. If we did good, follow it. If we didn't, don't. Thanks for listening to the Her and Him podcast. If you enjoyed hanging out with us, consider subscribing to the podcast to receive it automatically each week. Also, be sure to head over to our website, hernhim.com, and you can get show notes for this episode, read our blogs, and other helpful resources. We'd also love to hear from you, so you can email us at herandhimblog at gmail.com. Thanks again, and we will see you next time. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for working everything out for my good. Help me trust in your perfect plan. Amen. Father, thank you for loving and caring for me. With Christian prayer meditation, you can pray along to prayers based on specific topics. Go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Christian prayer meditation. You can also download the Abide app for biblical meditations at abide.com dot com.